2: Welcome to ParCast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal con artist's episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the ParCast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular ParCast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find the original episodes for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Today we're discussing accomplices of criminals. What leads someone to assist another person in a crime? Even if they don't pull the trigger, are they still guilty? According to United States law, an accomplice is, quote, a person who knowingly, voluntarily, or intentionally gives assistance to another in the commission of a crime. This can also apply to someone who knows that a crime is going to happen and does nothing to stop it. Oftentimes, an accomplice may be held to the same criminal sentence standards as the main perpetrator of the crime. So why would someone become an accomplice and subject themselves to the possibility of jail? Eric W. Hickey, forensic psychologist and author of Serial Murderers and Their Victims, says that when criminals work in groups of two, there is usually a distinct power dynamic at work. One perpetrator is more dominant, and they are the one guiding the crimes. The dominant criminal seeks out an accomplice who is emotionally vulnerable, young, or mentally unstable, and therefore easy to manipulate. The relationship creates codependency. The dominant criminal needs the accomplice to fulfill their desire for power, and the accomplice looks to the dominant criminal for a justification and reassurance. Lastly, criminals also tend to seek help from individuals who have previously committed crimes. In Dr. Hickey's studies, he found that half of the accomplices involved in killings had a previous criminal record. The clips today will highlight three accomplices and their roles in crimes. The first clip is from ParCast Original, Con Artists, and covers French con artist and thief Jeanne Delamont. Jeanne perpetrated the infamous Affair of the Diamond Necklace in the 1780s. Jeanne posed as Queen Marie Antoinette to manipulate a nobleman into buying a million-dollar necklace for her on credit. Then, instead of repaying the loan, she sold the jewels on the black market. But Jeanne would need help pulling off her scheme. Jeanne's first accomplice was her husband, Nicolas, But in order to pose as the queen, Jeanne would also need a forger. By 1784,
3: 28-year-old Jeanne de Lamotte had risen from a beggar on the streets of Paris to a well-kept woman with a household of servants. Or at least, that's how it appeared. Jeanne and her husband, Nicolas went through great pains to keep up the illusion of wealth through various small-scale schemes. But now, Jeanne was about to break through into the big leagues. And that meant she needed a true co-conspirator. That winter, Jeanne recruited Reto de Villetta for her plans. Villetta was an old army pal of Nicolas. He was also a bit of a scoundrel. He served on the local police force but was chased out of town after insulting a young woman in front of her parents. But all of this was inconsequential to Jeanne. She was most interested in Villette's experience in forgery. Three years previously, when they first met, Prince Louis de Rohan had unknowingly revealed to Jeanne a huge weakness. Queen Marie Antoinette hated him and he was desperate to get back into her good graces. Successful con artists often have an uncanny ability to discern soft spots like this and offer the perfect solution to their marks problems. Social psychologist Maria Konnikova said of con artists, they can read our background, our beliefs, our emotions, even the desires we thought we'd hidden so well. In this case, Rohan had done half of the work for Jeanne. She already knew what Rohan wanted. Reconciliation with the Queen.
2: In that clip from con artists, Jeanne de Lamont employed the help of Reto de Valletta, a master forger. Valletta forged letters from the Queen asking Prince Louis de Rohan to buy the necklace on her behalf. Louis, desperate to get back into the queen's good graces, obliged. Jeanne was able to get her hands on the necklace and the enormous fortune it would bring. By the time Roanne realized the letters from the queen were fake, the jewels were long gone. When looking for an accomplice, money can be an easy motivator. Much like Jeanne recruited her husband with a promise of riches, so did our next criminal. But his scheme was much more dangerous than impersonating royalty. John Wadowitz needed help to rob a bank. Coming up, we'll discuss John Wadowitz's bank job that was so daring, it inspired a Hollywood classic.
1: Elevate every morning with Tommy John's second skin underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site wide at TommyJohn.com/slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com/slash Spotify. See site for details.
0: This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime.
2: Jeanne de Lamont gathered accomplices to help her score a huge payday. And our next criminal, John Wadowitz, was no different. But he wasn't in it purely for the financial gain. He was in it for love. John's wife was experiencing gender dysphoria and wanted gender confirmation surgery. But John did not have the money to pay for such an expensive procedure. His wife was so distraught by the prospect of living the rest of her life as biologically male that she attempted suicide. John felt that the only way to save her life was to come up with the money for surgery. He was going to rob a bank for her, but he couldn't do it alone.
4: John went to a neighborhood bar, Old Jimmy's, to try to come up with a plan.
5: He figured his best chance was to storm the hospital, grab Liz, then flee to Denmark, where they could hide out and find a doctor willing to do the surgery.
4: But again, there was the problem of money, and not just for the surgery, but now also for the flights and to fund their life on the run.
5: But even with a gun, storming the hospital wasn't a one-man job. John needed
4: help. While he sat contemplating this, 18-year-old Sal Natarale walked into old Jimmy's. John immediately waved him over.
5: Sal had a reputation in Greenwich as a tough guy who knew his way around the system. He'd been in and out of jails and boys homes since he was 11 for everything from truancy to pickpocketing to parole violations.
4: Sal was allegedly a fugitive on the run from the New Jersey police for felony theft. Apparently, he hid in a department store until after closing. Once everyone had cleared out, he forged a receipt for a cash purchase of two television sets. Then he returned to his hiding spot overnight.
5: The next morning, when the store filled up with customers, Sal re-emerged.
4: He picked up two TVs off the display, one under each arm, and headed for the exit. When the security guard stopped him, Sal flashed the forged receipt and went on his way. Then he went straight to the pawn shop.
5: He got away with this scam for a few weeks, but eventually, the store manager discovered the thefts when he tallied the inventory. The next time Sal came in, the security guard recognized him and called the cops.
4: But while they were carting him off to the police station, Sal managed to slip away. The last time he'd gone to jail, Sal was brutally sexually assaulted. He was never going back, no matter what.
5: So he fled New Jersey and found a place to live under the radar, the bustling gay community of Greenwich Village.
4: John thought he would make the perfect accomplice.
2: In that clip from Hostage, John Wadowitz met Sal Natarale in a bar to try to come up with a way to get a large amount of money for Liz's gender reassignment surgery. Also in the bar that night was 20-year-old Bobby Westenberg, who also needed a large sum of cash to pay for lung surgery. Westenberg abandoned the plan on the day of the bank robbery as he got cold feet. John and Sal went through with the plan and ended up holding seven bank employees hostage for 14 hours. Sal was killed by the FBI, and John went to prison for five years. Both Jeanne Delamont and John Wadowitz were attracted to their accomplices for their criminal experience. But why would someone with no criminal record join a killer? Our final clip comes from Serial Killers. It covers the killer couple, Doug Clark and Carol Bundy. By the time Clark met Carol in 1980, she had already experienced a mountain of trauma. Carol grew up with abusive alcoholic parents and had barely escaped three abusive marriages. At first, Carol felt that Clark was different from her previous relationships, but soon he tested her boundaries. He revealed to Carol his sadistic sexual fantasies, and eventually, she joined his plans. Carol didn't just abuse her own sons. She also helped Clark manipulate and abuse an 11-year-old neighbor named Teresa, who lived in Carol's apartment complex.
6: In the spring of 1980, Carol befriended Teresa and brought her over to play with her sons. Teresa's guardians frequently let Carol babysit the young girl. They had no
2: idea that Carol was helping Clark groom the child. One day in the spring of 1980, Carol lured Teresa into her bathroom so that Clark could sexually abuse her.
6: Carol's willingness to abuse Teresa may have been connected to Carol's own childhood sexual abuse. It's important to note that most child sexual abuse victims go on to live normal, productive lives. But a 2012 study by the Australian Institute of Criminology found that victims of child sexual abuse were five times more likely to commit a crime than the general population. Forensic psychologist Margaret Cuddiar suggests that this study shows how important early and consistent intervention is for child sexual abuse victims. She suggests psychologists should be, quote, not just focusing on the trauma of the sexual abuse, but also teaching them about positive sexuality, just in terms of developing the healthier ideas of what a sexual relationship is and respect, end quote.
2: As you may recall, Carol Bundy's ex-partner Richard Geis felt Carol needed psychological help to deal with her father's sexual abuse. By the spring of 1980, she was now helping Clark groom and sexually abuse 11-year-old Teresa.
6: Clark abused Teresa for weeks in the spring of 1980 before drugging and attempting to rape her. Fortunately, she screamed loud enough for the neighbors to hear and managed to get away from Clark.
2: Somehow, Carolyn Clark kept Teresa from telling anyone about the sexual abuse and attempted rape. This left Clark free to fulfill his next fantasy. He didn't want to just rape young girls. His horrific dream was to murder a girl in the process of raping her, so he could feel her die.
6: Clark confided his fantasies to Carol. When she eagerly embraced his twisted worldview, he knew that he had found the perfect accomplice.
2: In that clip from Serial Killers, Doug Clark confessed to Carol Bundy that he fantasized about killing girls and wanted to make it a reality. Clark eventually killed six women, and Carol Bundy killed her ex-boyfriend Jack Murray after she confessed Clark's crimes to him. Two days after Jack's murder, Carol confessed to the police, and she and Clark were arrested. Carol insisted that she had acted as Clark's accomplice because she was too afraid to do anything in opposition to him. When Clark went on trial, Dr. Gloria E. Keyes testified that the pair had a shared paranoia. This disorder is the manifestation of a delusional idea that a dominant person passes on to a second, more vulnerable person. This is the same dynamic that we discussed earlier in the episode. Doug Clark was found guilty and sentenced to death. Carol was sentenced to life in prison. She died in 2003 at the age of 61. While the criminals in our clips today utilized different manipulation tactics, they all shared one common goal – to recruit a willing accomplice. Both Jeanne de Lamotte and John Wadowitz were able to tempt their co-conspirators with the promise of money. Jeanne's husband was desperate to hold onto the illusion of wealth. Bobby Westenberg needed money to pay for his own life-saving surgery. We also saw these manipulators chose their accomplices very carefully paying attention to those who are most vulnerable, as laid out by Dr. Hickey. Doug Clark identified that Carol Bundy was vulnerable to manipulation because of her past abuse history. In the end, their accomplices were all drawn into these crimes and shouldered just as much guilt. Thanks for tuning into ParCast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on criminal accomplices. We'll be back next week with a new episode on post-traumatic stress. What happens to a victim after they've lived through a crime? If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our ParCast original shows, Con Artists, Hostage, or Serial Killers, on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. I'll see you next time.